Amen. Good morning. All right. Hey, I, I got to tell you, um, I'm truly excited about this morning, sharing the word with you. It's a simple message, but let me just start off by saying this. You can't make this stuff up. I know you're saying, what is he talking about? You'll understand in a sec. You just cannot make this stuff up. Today, we're going to be wrapping up a series that we've been on for the last several weeks. Actually, it's been since the summer. This is literally, it makes three months we've been on this series today. And why, why so long? Because we take our time with the word. We go line upon line, precept upon precept. That's what the scriptures say. The goal is to understand. The goal is not to be so super spiritual that we're no earthly good. And so we just simply want to just teach you the word. And so today I want to start off by asking you a question. And I don't want you to go, oh yeah, yup, pastor, yup, that's me. I want you to just simply consider this question for yourself. Do you believe? Do you believe? And you know, I know this for a fact. That everyone here believes. Believes in something. Whether we believe in Jesus, whether we believe in God's kingdom, whether we believe in the principles that his word gives us as keys for life, everyone believes something. And as a result, everyone reaps something in regard to what they believe. That makes sense? So the person who's high, high up in life and doing great and believing God, hey, they believe. The person who disregards God and and wants nothing to do with people and hates the world, they believe. They believe something. And everything in between, we all believe. So yes, I think the answer is appropriate, now that I say that, that we all believe, right? Yeah? No? You're confused? Too deep for you? All right, okay. Let's let's bring it down a bit, right? I remember... uh, about two months back or so, I, I went out on a trip to California to a uh, conference with a bunch of pastors and some people that I knew and uh, just took some time to get refreshed and all that and, and, and glean some things from the word and connect with some people that I know and other and meet new people. But I remember while on this uh, flight, I was flying all day long. Um, and so uh, we, we, we had a layover in Chicago and uh, I ended up on the plane that was leaving from Chicago to, uh, to Anaheim. Uh, I, was, uh, I was seated at the window. And so as, as I'm sitting there and we're taking off, I'm, you know, I'm kind of feeling a little cramped. You know, I'm not necessarily the smallest person. Um, and for some reason, someone's convinced that you make the seats smaller. You can fit more people. That's not going to work. But anyway... That's another story. So I'm on this plane and we're taking off and we're flying. And as we're taking off, I'm looking outside the window. I'm by the wing and I'm just kind of seeing everything become smaller. And I remember having a thought as we were leveling off and I'm just looking at the landscape. I had this thought and said to myself, man, the world looks so much smaller from up here. Life seems so much smaller from up here. I'll tell you why I share that with you because I left that flight with this observation that the burdens of life and just life in general, listen, the good times, the bad times, and everything in between, they're so small in comparison when we see them from a higher perspective, from a greater vantage point. And literally what we need to consider is that God's kingdom gives us the ability to do just that. It gives us the ability to do just that. Life happens, but we don't have to be moved by life. Things happen, but we don't have to be moved by them. And today, I want to talk to you about this issue of if you believe. Now, I want to read just a, a joke that I, want to, that I want to share with you. But you got to promise me something. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, I promise. Tell somebody else, I promise. Now, I know how you guys are thinking. You're going to go, I didn't promise him. I promised my neighbor. No, no, look at me. I promise. Okay, so just remember you promised. So you promised to laugh, right? 
So, so, so give a brother some encouragement here. Help a preacher. Right? A man named Jack was walking along a steep cliff one day when he accidentally got too close to the edge and fell. And on the way down, he happened to catch a, a branch which he was able to grab, which temporarily stopped his fall. And as he looked down to his horror, he realized that the canyon fell straight down for most likely about another thousand feet. And so he couldn't hang on to that branch forever. And there was no way for him to climb up the steep wall of that cliff. And so Jack began yelling for help. Hoping that someone passing by would hear him. Hoping that someone would pass by. Hoping that from somewhere a rope, some means of escape would present itself. Something. And so he begins to cry out, help, help, help. Is anyone there? Help. Help, he yelled for a long time. But no one heard him. And he grew weaker and weaker. And just when he was about to give up, when he heard a voice, a voice that said, Jack, Jack, can you hear me? Yes, 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 I can hear you. I can hear you. I'm down here. I can see you, Jack. I can see you. Are you all right? Yes, yes, but who are you and where are you? I'm the Lord, Jack. I'm everywhere. The Lord? You, you mean God? Yep, that's me. God, please help me. I promise if you'll get me down from here, I'll stop sitting. I'll be a really good person. I'll serve you the rest of my life. Easy on the promises, Jack. Let's get you off from there and then we can talk. Now, here's what I want you to do. Listen carefully. I'll do anything, Lord. Just tell me what to do. Okay, okay. Let go of the branch. There was a long silence. And then finally, Jack yelled, help, help. Is anyone else up there? Now, listen, we might get a good laugh out of this. Remember how I was telling you, you just can't make this stuff up? And the first service, a gentleman comes up to me. I won't mention his name for the sake of anonymity and out of respect for him. Um, but he wrote me a note. He puts it in my hand. And he says, Pastor, I need to put something in your hand. And he says, and I just need you to know this, it's a true story. I said, okay, I put it in my pocket. I said, I'll read it later on in the day after second service when I'm relaxing or something. But I'm standing here during worship and I'm just meditating on these words. Great are you, Lord. 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 And I, and I have a hand in my pocket and I'm holding coffee in the other one because how many of you know worship and coffee goes great? <laughs> it works, man. It works. So I got my hand in my pocket and I feel this paper in my, in my hand and, and my curiosity's peaked and I'm like, just look at it, Jose. And I pull it out and he says, Pastor, thanks for the trip down memory lane. He says, his name is not Jack. I'll just call him Howard. He says, but Howard, this person's name. And he says, and the mountain was Bear Claw, Bear Paw Mountain. It's hard to keep the faith when no one knows you outside of a church and other people don't believe and don't want to hear it. But I believe. You know what happened to this guy? He fell off a cliff, Bear Paw Mountain in Montana. And he hung on a branch. And he had no way out. And while he's hanging off a cliff, he says, Lord, what do I do? And he let go. He's, he was here today, standing here. He says, I believe. 
Now listen. I am in no way advocating that you go and jump off a cliff or fall off a cliff. Yeah, I'm not saying that, all right? But listen, this whole journey of life in God's kingdom, according to God's ways, is truly one that calls for us to simply believe. To believe. To believe. And we started off with the question this morning, and I want you to consider this question. Do you believe? But I want to be more specific at this point. I'm not questioning if you have a belief. I want you to consider, do you believe in Christ? Do you believe in a God who will call you to places you've never been? To take steps of faith you never conceived or would consider in your own rational understanding. And yet to step out and trust God. Do you believe? See, the point is that God's, God's kingdom works if you believe. And in this series that we've been on and above the clouds, what we're talking about is life according to God's kingdom principles. It's what God's word says. It's the very things that we see in his word that are true, but defy everything that we see or know in our rational understanding. Can I just flat out just give you a news flash? Faith does not make sense. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Let me prove it to you. Just imagine that you are guilty of a crime. You're caught dead to right. You're guilty. Justice says, because you committed this crime, you're guilty and therefore you have to pay this penalty. Now that's rational thinking. That's the way of this world. I, some of you might be a little higher up in your spiritual walk and you go, oh, no, no, that's not me. Well, let me throw a rock through your windshield in front of your face. And I bet you, number one, you'll be calling the cops, right? Number two, you'll be demanding that I pay you for it because I committed the crime, right? That makes sense. Now, watch how God's kingdom works. God's kingdom says this, that while you and I were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the kingdom of God, God's kingdom principles say, I've forgiven you for yesterday, today, and forevermore. Once and for all. In God's kingdom, it says, I know you're guilty, but guess what? Because you can't pay the price sufficient to make up for that guilt, I'll become like you make up the difference for you so that you can enjoy everything that's mine free of charge. That's how the kingdom of God works. Come on, you can give it up for Jesus on that one. And so, so listen, this, this, this whole belief according to the kingdom of God, it doesn't make sense. But the truth is this, that God's kingdom gives us the ability to do just that, to live from a higher vantage point to perceive and approach life from a completely different place and to enjoy the blessing of God. To enjoy it. And so as a matter of just review and reinforcement in what we're to believe, I want to just quickly look at some scriptures that we've looked at in this series over the last several months, and I'll just touch on a few but in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, I want you to consider what was the very first thing that Jesus saw most important upon rising from the dead. When he presented himself to all his disciples, what was it that Jesus was talking to them about? And I can assure you of this, he didn't take them to theology seminary. He didn't take them to some lessons on pastoral studies. 
He didn't teach them about how to be a good Christian person in your appearance and how you talk and how you present yourself. He didn't give a rip about any of that. None of that. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says that after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. In other words, he just proved to them, guys, this is real. I'm back. I told you I would do this. But watch this. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. So for 40 days, he was with them. And watch what he did in those 40 days. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He put emphasis on this is how it works in the kingdom. Now you might go, well, that's God's kingdom. What do I have to do with that? The Bible says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a child of the kingdom. And we must understand how this kingdom works. Let me just put it to you like this. Understanding how, how God's kingdom works is important. If Jesus put the utmost emphasis on it, shouldn't we? We should seek to understand it. In Matthew 16, 19, Jesus speaking again says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Get this. God's kingdom backs you. And God says, I give you keys to this kingdom. And those keys give you authority. Those keys unlock the chains that once held you. Those keys open up new opportunities. Those keys give you vision for life. Those, those keys fulfill you and give you purpose. Those keys unlock your identity. Those keys free you from sin. Those keys free you from the memory of those things which weighed you down. This kingdom, it provides us keys for life. Matthew 6, 31 and 33. Jesus again speaking says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Go ahead and tell somebody, Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. He says, Don't worry. Don't worry about where, 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 where you're going to get your next meal from. Don't worry about what you drink. Don't worry about what you wear. In other words, don't worry about all these temporal things. He says, for the pagans, in other words, unbelievers, people who don't uh, believe in God. He says, for the pagans run after all these things. He says, and your, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. I'll tell you something about the kingdom of God. It simplifies life. Check out God's math. Here we are. Religion says, you've got to behave this way. You've got to look this way. You've got to talk this way. You can do this. You can't do that. You can do this. You, you, you can go here, but you can't go there. You can be amongst these people, but you can't be amongst these people. And so we get all these rules. Jesus says, forget about all that. Seek first. See you another way. Seek only God's kingdom. Seek only His righteousness. And everything else, it'll work out. See, the kingdom of God, it makes life simple. It simplifies it. It's not that complicated. Not that complicated. In Mark 1.15, Jesus again speaking says, The time has come. The time has come. Do me a favor, Danny. Do me a favor. Stand right there. Right at the edge of there. But I want you to turn around. I want you to turn around and face the other way. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says, The time has come. Let me put this in context for you. Jesus is speaking to a people, Jewish people, who have been hanging on to the promise that God would send them a deliverer, a Messiah, a king, who would reestablish his kingdom and make things right. One that would do away with all their enemies and restore them to the promise in Deuteronomy 28, where they are the head and not the tail. They're above only, never beneath. They're blessed coming in, blessed going out. By the way, that's your promise too. That's right. That's right. And so here Jesus comes. And he's sitting amongst these people. He's amongst these people. And he says, the time has come. 
The kingdom of God has come near. You know what he's saying? What you've been waiting for is here. It's available right now. It's closer to you than you've ever known. And then he says, repent. That word repent does not mean that you go and sob on an altar. Does it? it has nothing to do with emotions. It has nothing to do with, feel, with you feeling guilty. It simply means this. Turn around. So here Jesus is speaking to a people seeking him. And he says, the time has come. I'm here. The kingdom of God is available. It's near to you. It's within you. And he says, repent. He says, turn around. And you know what we do? We're not careful. We keep facing the other way. The kingdom of God is near. The truth is available to you. I'm showing you a better way. Come, turn around. And here's what we do. We continue to face the other way. And he says, hey, I'm really here. I'm really available for you. Right about now, you should start thinking about turning around. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Lest any of us judge anyone. We've all been there. God and his kingdom, the truth, his principles are available to all mankind. And he says, I'm here. You're seeking God. You're seeking solutions. You're seeking a different way. You're seeking, you're seeking a resolve. You're seeking peace. You're seeking healing. You're seeking strength. You're seeking all these things. And he's saying, I'm right here. It's available to you right now. He says, turn around. But let me show you something about God's kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Turn around. Watch this. And believe this good news. Listen, we can hear. We can actually turn around and say, man, I'm going to start seeking God. I, I really need to know what this is about. We can turn around. But listen, without belief, you can't take hold of the kingdom. Let me put it to you another way. Without belief in Christ, you can't see the results that Christ promises. I'm not talking about belief in the pastor. I'm not talking about belief in what you are told. I'm talking about getting to this place of personal, personal encounter and belief in God. It's a completely different story. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 44. We're going to start off with verses 1 through 16. I'm just going to dive right in. I'll let you catch up with us so you can just follow us on the screen. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. Let me translate that for you. It's a really bad situation. And Jesus, we're reaching out to you in hopes that you might consider doing something. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Remember those words. Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Jesus said that. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, check this out. We're not talking about how the kingdom doesn't make sense. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Yeah, I know. He's at the point of death. 
We'll take an extra two days and just camp out around here. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going back. They say, in other words, don't go there. They tried to kill you the last time you were there. Let's not go back there. We're not interested in dying with you, is what they're saying. Right? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is simply saying this. Listen, we still have an opportunity to do something. So while Lazarus is in need, guess what? We need to stop in Judea because there's something that I have to do there. Now, we don't know exactly what that was, but what we do know is this, that the, Jesus, that the Bible says that Jesus went about healing all those that were sick and delivering all those that were de- uh, oppressed and setting the captives free. He opened blind eyes. He, he, he loosed the mouth of the mute. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. So everywhere he went, something was always happening. So Jesus is saying, guys, you don't get it. There's something that's going to happen here. So we'll get there. Remember the words of Jesus? This is not going to lead to death. Remember that? Remember that. And so, after this, verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Watch this. So that you may believe. Sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. Pay close attention. You'll see what I'm talking about here. But let us go to him. Verse 16. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, he got real, real spiritual. This guy was really trying to be a Jesus junior. This is what he says. He says, let us also go that we may die with him. Sounds real Christ-like, right? Let me point something out to you here. Jesus is addressing a heart issue in the lives of these disciples. He's not addressing their bad habits. He's not addressing their, uh, their lack of uh, 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 rising up to the occasion of what it means to be a disciple, or what they look like or what they act like. He's addressing belief. 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 Now, the story goes on, so let's dive back in here. And as we're going to verse, verses 17 through 44, I want to just make a couple of statements to you. When you follow Jesus with unbelief, Life becomes just like these, it was for these disciples. It's unclear. It doesn't make sense. We can't understand where God is leading, where God is guiding, what God is saying. Listen, if you're struggling with hearing from God, knowing where he's leading you or taking a next step of faith, ask yourself this question. By the way, don't nudge your neighbor at this time. Take it personal. Where might unbelief be at work in your life? Listen, if I ask you right now, matter of fact, I, I am asking you right now to consider this rhetorically just for yourself. What's the next step where God is leading you? What is God telling you about your role as a husband? as a wife, as a man, as a woman, as an employee, as a citizen in the kingdom, 
What is God saying to you regarding your place amongst the body of Christ? What is God saying to you about the choices you're making? The people you're surrounding yourself with? The difficult situations that, you're, that, 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 that come at you? What is God saying to you? Now let me just say something and please don't, don't take this personal. No, take it personal but don't, don't leave here offended is what I mean to say. If you can't answer that question... We have to consider this question. Where my unbelief be at work in my heart? Because God is always speaking. Because his word is always available. Because his spirit, according to the words of Jesus in John 14, his spirit is always leading us into all truth and showing us things to come. His spirit, which resides in you and I, is always teaching us, comforting us. So the question isn't, well, I don't know. I'm waiting on God. No, 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 no. The real thing is God is waiting on you and he's waiting on you and me. He's waiting on you and me. See, the kingdom of God operates upon belief in God, not sight. And that's what was going on with these disciples. They were not getting it. They could not see. It was all unclear. These guys are following Jesus and struggling with belief. We've all been there, whether we admit it or not. We've all been there. Maybe you find yourself there now. Well, got good news for you. There's freedom in what we're going to read today. And so... In verses 17 through 44, I want to quickly read these. It says that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Mary stayed at home. Remember that. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Wow. Sounds like great faith. Jesus, I know that whatever you ask, God hears you. Watch this. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then she gets really, 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 really spiritual. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I believe that. I read that in my Bible. I know that's the truth. Someday, way out there in the sweet by and by, he'll rise again. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Watch this. The one who believes in me will live. Even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Here's the kicker. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not enter, entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. <laughs> you know what's happening here? Jesus is getting to the heart of this. Listen, Jesus arrives. This same guy that raised the dead, that healed the sick, that opened blind eyes, that taught and spoke and did th things powerfully. He shows up. And both these sisters get wind that he's there. And one of them says, whoops, got to go to Jesus. 
And the other one says, I'll stay here in this pity party. I'd much rather mourn and lament my loss. I'd much rather stay here with this hurt, with this affliction, with this heaviness of heart, with this sorrow, with this pain. I'll stay here. And so what does Jesus do? He says, go get your sister. Because you don't belong there. I really do believe that God is speaking to some of you today. Whatever there is, wherever that is, you don't belong there. You don't belong there. It's not God's best for you. God hasn't called you to that. Well, you know, I've been taught since I was a kid that God has called us to suffering. God is a sovereign God. He knows all things, so this is part of his will. You know what the Bible says about God's will and purposes? It says that he's predestinated you unto good works. You know what that's saying? God only knows one thing about you, the very best that he created you for Let me tell you something about God's sovereignty. God is sovereign, but you know what he's sovereign to? His word. He says, I have exalted my word above my name. God is sovereign to the truth that he reveals in his word. That's why he says, I'm not a man that I should lie. If I said it, it'll come to pass. So get this, right? Kozerati says, go get your sister. And so watch what happens in verse 32. Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him and she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now listen, I'm not, I hope I'm not coming across as insensitive. I simply want you to see this from Jesus' perspective. Listen, the pain was real. The loss was real. The hurt was real. It's all real. But look at who is in the midst of that pain, that hurt, those heart, that hardship. Jesus shows up and he says, his other sister, her other sister says to him, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he says to her, didn't I tell you that I'm the resurrection and I'm the life? Didn't I tell you that if you believe, watch what he says, you would see the glory of God. You know what he's saying there? You, he, I'm not talking about a glory cloud. I'm not talking about the presence of God falling down upon us. His presence is with you. You brought it. You, you're taking it with you. When you get in your car, it goes with you. When you sit at McDonald's, it goes with you. Right? When you drop the ball, he's with you. The glory of God is simply this. God at his very best. He says, if you believe, you'll see God's best at work in your life. And so she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Verse 33, and when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Listen closely to this. Verse 38. Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. I like the way the the King James puts it. It stinketh. (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to the text. Jesus, he's been dead four days. He stinks. What are you talking about? 
And Jesus said to her, did I, did, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this, listen closely, for the benefit of the people standing here, that they might believe that you sent me. You know, it's been commonly taught that, you know, Jesus, he was moved to such great, by such great compassion because because of because of the loss of of Lazarus because he died because it was just such a sad situation and people were so sad and I'd like to propose to you a different perspective here if Jesus was moved by the death of Lazarus if he was lamenting the loss of Lazarus, then why would he then say, Lord, I'm saying this for their benefit that they might believe. Listen closely. Jesus was not moved by their hurt. Jesus did not weep because of their sorrow. Jesus wept because of their great unbelief. It's an impossible situation if you look at it at surface level. Lazarus is dead four days. Everyone's hurting. And everyone is in a state of unbelief. Mary's in a state of unbelief because, Jesus, if you had been here just four days before, my brother wouldn't have died. Martha's in the same boat. And the people are all crying and sobbing and in this huge pity party about their hurt, about their loss. And Jesus says, I'm saying this in the hearing of all these people that they would believe. Listen, the one thing that can move God to tears is unbelief. Consider the power of unbelief. Psalm 78, verses 40 through 42 says this. How often they provoked him in the wilderness. This is referring to how God was provoked by his people, Israel. It says, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God. Watch this. And they limited the Holy One of Israel. Wait, what? They limited God. A limitless God. Limited? How does that work? How can the word of God even say that? Watch how. Verse 42. They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy. You know what they did? The Bible says that there are people that to this day have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. In other words, there's unbelief. Scriptures declare in the book of James that for the person that believes in God and yet struggles with believing, here's what it says. It says he's like a double-minded person. It says he's like the waves of the sea that the wind blows and wherever it blows, that's where they go. And he says, and that person can expect to receive nothing from God. It's not that God's withholding anything. What I want you to consider is this. That unbelief can limit the very thing that God has already done in you from ever coming to pass. Husband, hear this. There's greatness in you. Don't limit God's hand. Wife, hear this. There's greatness in you. Don't limit God's hand. Man, a woman, believer, employee. Citizen in this world, neighbor to your friends, mother, father, brother, child. Don't limit the hand of God anywhere by unbelief. Don't go there. 
So back to this story. All these people are at a low point. It's a crying party. Everybody's hurting, unfortunately. And you know, if we could just be very honest, we can hurt that way too. But we learn something in the midst of this about those moments in life. When it seems like we can't go on, when it seems like it's too hard, we learn something about the low point that they were at. See, they were at a low point not because Lazarus was dead. They were at a low point because they were thinking low. They were believing low. Let me prove that to you. Jesus shows up and they're all crying and a few of them begin to mutter and whisper amongst themselves, hey, can't this same God that gave sight to the blind raise this dead guy up? And they continue in their pity and in their hurt and at their low point. You know why? Because they were thinking too low. Let me tell you why that's important and how that relates to faith. This thought process of ours, this mind of ours is a filter. And before truth can ever impact your heart, it has to surpass this reason. And you know what sometimes we don't do if we're not careful? What we don't do is we don't take time to actually stop and think about the intentions, the motivations, and the truth that God's word is revealing to us. Have you ever thought about this? That God's word shows God to be a good God, to be a healer, to be a redeemer, to be a provider, to give us hope, to give us a future, to bring blessing in in our lives, to prosper us in every way, to cause us to rise up above circumstances. Everything that we see in God's word, it points us to the goodness of God. And if we miss that simple and yet profound truth, that every promise and everything from God's word shows God It proves God to have one motivation, to bring the very best into our lives. If we miss that, you know how we'll approach God? We won't. You know how we'll live life? We won't. We'll just meander and mosey on along in life, hoping and a-wishing and a-praying, struggling. That is not where God has called you. Let me say this again. I said this earlier. You don't belong there. So let me encourage you to think higher thoughts. Let me encourage you to allow your understanding to rise beyond what you know and what you've seen and what you've experienced and even what you've been told in church. You know, if you want to go higher in life, you know what you got to do? Think higher. You got to think higher. This mind can limit the hand of God. I didn't say it limits God. But it can limit everything that God has brought into your life. And God's not the author nor the finisher of our demise. No. We reject the knowledge of God. We reject the truth. We stop at unbelief and we remain stuck. David says in Psalm 23, verse 4, very familiar passage of scripture. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, you're riding, your staff, they come for me. Check out what David says. I'm walking through a low point in life. Feels like death. But watch what he says. I walk through. I walk through. I'm walking through this. Can't th- this can't stop me. My God is faithful. 
Listen, I'm, I, I may be walking through some death right now. It may be a low point, but I know this, that my God, huh, his rod, his staff, they comfort me. I'm walking through this mess and I'm coming out better than ever before. That's the promise of God to your life. At a low point, David says, I'm looking up. I've got no reason to fear. I've got no reason to stay stuck. You are with me. Lows in life will come, ladies and gentlemen. Guaranteed, they will come. But you don't have to live there and you don't have to believe from that vantage point. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 says this. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Feeling low right now? Feeling stuck? I want you to consider what God says in his word about you. I want you to consider this. You've been raised with Christ. You've been lifted up. The scriptures declare that he's pulled you out of the miry pit, the miry clay, the yucky stuff. And he's placed you upon a high rock is what it says in the Hebrew. You might feel down. You might even believe you're out. But a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. You might feel like, I can't. But the book of Philippians declares otherwise. If you just back up a couple of verses, here's what it says. Paul says, I've been in lack and I've had much. He says, and in all those seasons, I've learned to be content. Why? He says, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength. You can make it. I said, you can make it. I said, you can pick your head up again. You can rise again. He says, so since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts, watch this, on things above. In other words, set your belief on something higher than what you're seeing, than what you're experiencing, than the lies that you've bought into. He says, set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds... On things above. Remember I told you to start thinking higher? Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Listen, your problem is not that man. Your problem is not your finances. Your problem is not your situations. Your problem is not your lack. Your problem is not people. Your problem is unbelief. To set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let me just make this point to you. Because you believe in Christ, you can see things differently. I'm going to say that again. Because you believe in Jesus... You have the ability, you can see things differently because you have been raised up. Because you got a greater vantage point. Because where other people might be thinking low, you have the ability to think high. Because where other people struggle, you are raised up because he's the one doing all the raising. Come on now. Because you believe in Christ, you can see things differently. As we're closing out today in God's kingdom, I want you to see something. That only belief can bring what's dead to life in your life. Only belief. Only belief. I close with this. Why don't we stand? In John eleven forty. Three through 44. Jesus is faced with this impossible situation. 
He's surrounded. Everyone around him is faced with a dead situation. It's over. He stinks. He's dead. You're too late. He opened blind eyes, but he came too late. Nothing can be done here. Verse 43 in John 11 says that when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out and his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes. Listen, let him go. Let him go. Let him go. Listen, Jesus and everyone there were faced with a death situation. Lazarus was dead. The hurt was real. The loss was real. And to everyone, it was the end of the road. But where there was no hope based upon their unbelief, Jesus declares, I'm bringing hope. And he speaks to the very dead person, the very dead thing. And he says, from that dead place, arise. From that dead place, move on. From that dead place, see new life. From that dead place, from those ashes, you rise up and you discover the beauty that I have placed in you, that I've called you to. <laughs> now I love about this, that Jesus isn't basing your comeback on the faith of others. Jesus calls out to you and I and he says, rise up. You know what I love about this, this particular encounter that Christ had with this, with this guy, Lazarus? That the only person up until that point that got up from that which was dead, the one that was dead himself. For some of us here today, and look, if you're not there, praise God. I, I, I thank God for what he's done in your life. I thank God for how he's raised you up. I thank God that you have a greater perspective. But the truth is that there are some of us here that we don't feel so high. The hurt is real. The loss is real. And I want you to see something. That Jesus declares this. Rise up. Now you might stop at this point and go, All right, Jesus, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you to do this. But the book of Ezekiel gives us a different perspective. God shows up to this guy, Ezekiel, and he says to him, hey, Ezekiel, you go and you speak. You go to a valley where there's nothing but dead bones. You go to that low place where there's nothing but deadness. You go there. And when you go there, I believe this is Ezekiel 37. He says, when you go there, you tell those dead bones to rise. You command them to live again. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of God has provided you and I keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You begin to speak to those dead places. You begin to speak to that past that haunts you. You begin to come against those thoughts that, 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 that taunt you and pull you down. And you rise up and you say, in the name of Jesus, I will live again. I will rejoice again. I will live to see better days. I'm not down. I'm not out. God is with me. I believe. Hey. Jesus says, rise up. Take off that dead clothes. Take off that stink. Believe. Father, today we thank you for your word. It is truth. And Lord, I thank you that your word declares that in the hearing of your word, faith is come. Belief is at work right now in the hearts, in the minds of these, your people. Lord, I pray that today, each and every one here is strengthened in the inner man. Confident in your presence 
and your purposes for their life. Where they were once seeking somewhere else, Lord. I pray, Lord, open our eyes to settle upon this truth. To raise our eyes and our hearts up on a daily basis. And to look to you. To believe.